Hello, my and name is Lucas. To go walk yourself. My name is Eddie Michelson. My name is Lucas Anderton. And today we're going to be discussing a whole lot of things. There's a lot of things going on right now in the political realm. And we'll, we will uh, try to cover uh, most of it and uh, give our very different perspectives on what's going on right here, right now. So, as you all know, today was the Alabama special election to replace Luther Strange, who was the appointed senator for Jeff Sessions' seat, because he became the attorney general. Uh, the Keebler elf. Um, yes, he does, in fact, appear to be the Keebler elf. Um, it's unconfirmed and unsubstantiated, but uh, he does appear. Uh, Alex Jones confirmed. Keebler elf. <laughs> Keepler Elf himself. Uh, so yeah, this election was uh, basically doomed from the very moment uh, the Washington Post reported on Roy Moore's uh, questionable past involving a 14-year-old uh, and a relationship that occurred. Um, this was this was a this was a disaster from the very beginning, and it does not surprise me one bit that it ended in a disaster. Uh, this is really bad for Republicans. Uh, well, I, I really just want to hear your take okay. on this. <laughs> so my thing is, I don't think it was bad for Republicans. It was bad because they lost the vote, but it wasn't bad because the Republicans just rejected, at least some Republicans just rejected a pedophile. And so I think by them not electing him, like if they had elected him, the Republicans would oh, have yeah, to explain... Sure from now until what is it 2020 when that seats up again why they have a pedophile in there until they could find someone else yeah and like i don't think if roy moore got elected we were gonna stop talking about the fact he's a pedophile absolutely not yeah um and so now we republicans get to kind of brush it off but my whole thing is when i've gotten into conversations with people about roy moore their argument seems to be that he didn't receive his due process and that it's all alleged but like to me the the burden of proof is much, much, much lower for the United States Senate. I don't think you have to have a judge convict you for you to not be fit to be in the Senate. And when 30 people come forward and say, hey, this dude did stuff with a 14-year-old, this dude is banned from a mall for being a creep who creeped on the on Santa's elves who were 14, 15, 16-year-old kids, and this dude's high school buddies, or buddies won't go to high school football games with him anymore because he was creeping around all the high school girls who were at the football game. Like, that doesn't represent the United States Senate. There's only a hundred of those seats, and we can't find a hundred decent people to fill them. Like, between Al Franken and now Roy Moore, we can't find a hundred people to fill those seats. It frustrates me. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think I think it's very... Uh, I think it's good that he lost, to be completely honest. Like, even as a Republican, I think this is one of those instances... Uh, I was going to say this with the uh, Virginia race, which was obviously very different, but I think this is another instance in which I think uh, with this Senate race, it's it has more to do with Republicans deserving to lose than Democrats deserving to win. I think Republicans right now are just at a complete uh, loss for who they are and what they stand for, and they're willing to uh, go down this populist ro- uh, route in which they accept uh, anyone and anything. And I think it's it's really starting to have some significant uh, backlash. And I think if they keep this up, it's going to 
it's going to keep crumbling and Democrats are going to be looking really good uh, come 2020. So I think right now, like Republicans really need to have some introspection and say, hey, what, who are we as a party? Are we really the party of morality or are we the party who will literally accept anyone? Um, yeah, it's, it's not a good look. So, like, what I've been looking at is uh, Virginia is a relatively blue state. It's been a toss-up in the past few years, but it generally goes pretty blue. So I think Ralph Northam had a serious chance of winning uh, no matter what. But a lot of the reason he won, I think, was anti-Trump sentiment. And then when we look at Alabama, I have no doubt in my mind that that was anti-Trump sentiment. Um, A Democrat doesn't win Alabama because he's a Democrat. A Democrat wins Alabama because Trump is in office. And because he's against the pedophile. So what I, I'm interested in is uh, how long Democrats can ride the anti-Trump wave. Because it's not a blue wave. It's not this new Democratic Party. It's the same exact Democratic Party that happens to get to campaign on the fact that Trump's in office. And they just tried electing a pedophile to the United States Senate. Well, here's the I think the answer to your question is... Democrats can run on anti-Trumpism as long as Trump is in office. I think as long as he's there, they're going to have a, uh, whether justified or not, punching bag to say, hey, look, we're not this guy. We're actually the opposite of this guy, so you should elect us. And I, I think that's going to carry on uh, until the next presidential election. So, I, yeah, I, I don't think that that's going to end anytime soon. And I think that's really all Democrats need right now. They don't really need to be pushing anything else other than uh, Trump is terrible because I think a lot, I mean, he has a very low approval rating and people are kind of fed up with, uh, what's going on. And I think anti-Trumpism is really like, it's, it's really the Democrats moves, uh, right now. Yeah, I get that. It's just like a lot of what, uh, Democrats are calling the resistance, the Trump resistance, um, resembles the Tea Party in a lot of ways. And actually like groups like Indivisible, the way, or, like, their purpose for forming was to do exactly what the Tea Party did to Obama, except it's progressives doing it to Trump. Yeah. But look at what happened to the Tea Party after its one successful year in 2010. The Tea Party didn't show up to vote in 2012. That's why somehow Obama got elected again. And then that's why in 2014, Turnout overall wasn't good, and yeah, Republicans still did pretty good in 2014, but it wasn't as good as it should have been, and it wasn't as good as Republicans did in 2010. So, like, I'm just worried that the anti-Trump sentiment isn't going to be as powerful and last as long as Democrats need it to, to get them in office in 2020, and even in Congress in 2018. Alright, so, let's say um, the anti-Trumpism is not enough. And actually, let's take Trump out of the equation altogether right now and just let, let, let's look at 2020 for a second. What does the Democratic Party look like going into 2020 that's actually a, that's a win? It looks like candidates with the exact same resume and ideology as Hillary Clinton with a different but, face but not than Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> and that might be the winning formula. It might, Hillary may have had a perfect platform to win, but it was Hillary Clinton. And a lot of, like, a lot of Rust Belt people, we say, oh, we weren't connecting with the Rust Belt. We weren't connecting with the coal miner in West Virginia. I don't think that was true. I, I think it was just that Hillary Clinton wasn't connecting 
with them. I don't think it had anything to do with her platform. And so, like, I think Democrats look pretty good going to 2020. Uh, mm, you don't think I so? Say, I say, okay, Democrats, um, if you want to get the rest of America on your bandwagon, you need to throw socialists the hell out of your party and not touch them with a 10-foot pole. That is scaring the hell out of a lot of voters who would otherwise go your way. I think the the socialist streak that has gone through the Democratic Party is an absolute cancer to the party, and it's actually uh, more of a detriment than it is uh, a, a boon, I would say. I think I think they're falling into this trap because they saw how energized people were by Bernie Sanders, but I think that has done... It's scared off a lot more voters than it's... Uh, that's actually helping with the Democratic Party. But, like, look at how many people, even for a candidate that tried to embrace some of Bernie's ideas, uh, Hillary, which she did a horrible job of, look at how many people still voted for Jill Stein. Do you know where all of those Bernie bros are going to flock to in 2020? Probably Jill Stein when she, for some reason, <laughs> runs stop for president doing that. again. Jill, Jill, Jill if stop. you're listening, stop running it's for over. president. It's over for the globalists. <laughs> but, um, so, like, I don't know. I, I think it's very hard to disenfranchise those, like, further left voters. Um, and, like, the, I know you totally disagree with me on this. The democratic socialist message that they're spreading is, in theory, good for the working class. But I get what you're saying. It scares the hell out of a lot of people, especially independents. Right, yeah, I think with swing voters, they hear the word socialism, and there's obviously, like, connotations with that that are not good, rightfully so. Um, I think, uh, in terms of messaging, I think Democrats have a lot more to work with than Republicans do. What are Republicans going to do in 2020 when, look, we've just had, we've had a very interesting uh, past year in which not only uh, has Trump been our president, and he's had some small small wins but a lot of l's have been taken uh during his presidency so far we'll see if tax reform goes through that might help i don't think it's going to we'll see about that but i mean republicans have a lot on their plate right now and they have a lot to clean up and we just saw what happened in virginia we saw what happened in alabama both were different circumstantially but um as far as i'm concerned we're in trouble and we need to change uh the way we well, we need to change our message completely first of all and then we need to change the way we deliver our message and we need to change the people who we're accepting as who represents what a republican looks like yeah no i agree with that at the end of uh i went to one of ralph northam's i'm from virginia beach so i, I was super involved in the virginia election and i went to one of ralph northam's rallies the one that uh president obama sp- spoke at and there was we this, both went to that. Oh yeah, you, you were there. I I took <laughs> oh, yeah. my I took my Republican roommate with me. He really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah. And there was this new message that I had never heard uh, come out of a Democrat's mouth during a stump speech, and it was here in Virginia. We are proud to be Democrats, and like Democrats are producing candidates that make them proud. They are talking about concepts that make you proud to be a Democrat, but like. I just don't see people, except for, like, whack jobs, saying, oh, wow, I'm proud to be a Republican. When someone says they're a Republican recently, it's like they have to shy away from it. Just because oh, no, of... I, I feel that completely. I think a lot of the people who have been traditionally Republican and have had traditional 
Republican values have been moving towards, like, for example, I say now I'm a conservative, right? I don't, my, my number one label isn't Republican. I'm a, I'm a conservative. And I think a lot of people are on the same boat as me because right now the Republican party is so, uh, you think of Trump basically, and it's having a bit of an existential crisis. And yeah, there's people in the Republican party who don't like that, but I mean, the reality is that's what it is right now. And for, uh, we, you know, for better or for worse, we have to, uh, we have to acknowledge that. And if you don't like that, then we should hope that we elect someone uh, within our party who actually represents our values and not just someone who we think we can win from. I think Trump was really appealing when he won the nomination because he was like no one know no one knew what to do about him, and he looked like uh, he could be a a definite win. And uh, when he won, I think the Republican Party fell into the trap of saying, well, this guy won. This must be what works. We're going to go with him. And it's not going to work out in the long run. So I think we really need to do some introspection here and see what what the American people actually want to see. But like, so my concern is that you're either on Team Trump and acting like him or you're against him and not a real uh, Republican by today's standard. So, like, look at guys like Paul Ryan. They Paul uh, Ryan was a conservative hero for most of America. I mean, I liked the guy. I wanted, if too. I was over 21, I would love to sit down and have a beer with the guy. And, like, but now he's just become tainted. And if that's you what you have. 21. <laughs> and that's what you have to do to be politically viable in Trump's Republican Party. Or you can get where Jeff Flake is right now. <laughs> Or you can get where uh, John McCain sort of is right now. Like, there's not going to be anybody left to be the Republican revival. I was talking, I was actually... I, there are like, a couple guys. Ben Sass. Ben Sass and Mike Lee. Um, That's the Republican Party that I want to see. Well, okay, now that you mention that. So I went to hear Jennifer Palmieri speak, uh, Obama's communications director and Hillary Clinton's campaign's communications director. And she was... She brought up a concern that I had never thought about before. Um, what happened with Nixon and his uh, tarnishing of the Republican um, reputation left room for Ronald Reagan to happen. Well, that's it, true. Yeah. Ronald Reagan got to be the Republican revival. Well, that's what scares me, is that Democrats might get someone in 2020... But what's going to happen in 2024? Oh, but, uh, but that's exactly why Carter won. I mean, he, his whole campaign was, I'm not Nixon. And then look what happened. Yeah, and look what happened with that. So, I mean, yeah, this is definitely like shaky territory we're getting into here because, uh, yeah, Trump is, uh, his approval rating is very low uh, and people are getting very energized by being anti-Trump. But what happens when we take literally anyone who isn't Trump next time around? I think Democrats have to do a really good job selecting a candidate who's going to not only carry them through 2020. Not Joe Biden. <laughs> but also who's going to be an effective leader and prove to the American people that, look, Democrats, uh, the, the Democratic Party's platform is actually a better platform. And it's not just an anti-Trump platform. So I think, sure, for campaigning and running, anti-Trumpism is definitely going to be enough. Like, I, there's actually no doubt in my it mind. It worked for Republicans. Right. They did anti-Obamaism and anti-Hillaryism. Right. But once you're in office, what are you, what are you actually going to do substantially that's going to prove to the people that 
you deserve to be reelected. And if that doesn't happen, then there's just going to be uh, another Republican who comes around who actually is principled and has uh, ideas who's going to come around and prove to the American people that uh, their platform is better. So I think that, yes, the anti-Trumpism, is it puts Democrats in a really good position, but they have to really capitalize on that. And they can't just, uh, they can't sell themselves short. They have to go the extra mile and actually put something forward substantially. And that's an interesting point because, like, um, Republicans got to be an obstruction party for a really long time. Um, Republicans got to be an obstruction party for a really long time, and that works until you get elected and take power. You can't be an obstructionist party anymore. You have to be a governing party. And so when Republicans were in that point of just being obstructionist, why weren't they working on a tax bill for when they finally took office? Why weren't they working on a health care bill? When Obama took office, that health care bill was written. We don't want to admit it, but that health care bill had already been planned out. And so he got to come in office with an idea and a vision, and he got to immediately push that agenda. Yeah. Trump and McConnell 110% had no vision and no agenda. And like... So Democrats need to be ready to get in office in 2020, and they need to have a vision and an agenda. And that's Can't already just showing stay stronger right now. together. That's already showing right now with the um, what you just mentioned there with the lack of vision. Um, where's our health care right now? Where's our tax reform? The, none of this stuff is happening, and I think it, <clears throat> I think it has to do with uh, a lot with Trump's leadership, but I also think it has to do with the fact that I mean, where is the Republican Party right now in terms of a vision? There's no, I mean, there's obviously always going to be different camps within any political party. There's going to be like the people who are really far to the right. There's going to be the people who are basically just right of center. But what's our vision right now? What are we trying to accomplish? When Ronald Reagan was president, he had a very, very clear vision. And he was able to articulate that in a way that resonated with people. And for those reasons, he was able, like, whether you agree with him or not, you can't deny the fact that he was able to put his vision forth. Uh despite not having like that much political experience i mean he was governor but he was he was able to really work washington uh in his favor so i think that's not happening right now so that's something that uh should be considered by republicans what is our actual clear vision that we can sell to the american people and like the republicans have to prove you know this is why you guys elected us you elected us because you trusted us to make america a better place to make America great again, how the hell are we going to do that now? And, like, any time I see a Republican elected, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I saw with my congressional district, a new Republican took over for another Republican who was very middle of the line, and then a pretty far-right Republican took over. And I immediately said, let's give this guy a chance. I wasn't a huge fan of the 2016 Democratic candidate in my district, and so I wanted to give the guy a chance. Then he got in office, and he just became... Trump's butt buddy. He was going on MSNBC and just arguing, 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 saying, this is why we love Trump, make America great again. Okay, but Congressman Taylor, what are you actually doing to make America a better place? Yeah, I mean, look, whether you support Trump, whether you agree with everything he says or not, what you should be worried about is, if you're, if you're a big fan of Trump and you're ready to defend him and you're ready to say anything you want or anything you can to uh, make sure, uh, like, to defend him. Why don't you have 
just as much interest in getting his agenda passed. Where's the wall? That was the number one promise throughout his campaign. I haven't seen anyone talk about the wall. What swamp has he drained? Yeah, wh- yeah where's the where's I'm sorry, the, the swamp, swamp is thicker than it's ever been before. The swamp is real right now. The swamp is definitely real. Uh, where's the wall? That's the number one question I have. So I think if these, if the same people who have spent so much time on TV uh, defending Trump for his, uh, uh, you know, for what anything literally, if they spent as much time trying to get his agenda through. I think we, uh, he would actually have a better chance than he does now. In 2016, it wasn't about Democrats and Republicans. It was about Clinton, anti-Clinton, or Trump, anti-Trump. I don't think many people went to the ballot for Hillary's uh, platform. I don't think many people went to the ballot for Trump's platform. They either went because they really wanted to vote for Hillary Clinton, or they really wanted to vote against Hillary Clinton. They either went because they really wanted to vote for Trump, or they really wanted to vote against Trump. Well, guess what? I think the wave of populism is really dying out. Ooh. And mm, mm, I disagree with that. I, I think, think 2020 has to be on ideas. Let's not even call it populism then. This is hyper-partisanship, okay? And that's a it, it's it's actually a cancer to our republic, okay? You got the people who will vote for Democrats no matter what, and there's people who are willing to literally defend a pedophile on behalf of Republicans. And this is what we get. When we have hyper-partisanship and we have both sides who are completely at war with each other to the point where they're not willing to compromise on anything, we get, uh, like I said, Democrats who will always vote Democrat and will do anything they can to obstruct Republicans, and then we have Republicans who are willing to accept anyone into their party who they think can win. And I don't think it's necessarily um, like obstructionism or anything like that. It's just... It's just hyper-partisanship. And I think that if we can somehow find a way to expel the radicals on each side and find a way to make compromises with each other, uh, I know I'm speaking in very idealistic, somewhat democratic terms. Aw, he wants to come together. Stronger come together, together, Eddie Michelson. <laughs> Stronger together. Uh, not that. Not that. But I think... Definitely hyperpartisanship plays a major role in what's going on right now, and it's going to get worse, especially come 2020. Okay, what, kind of person, what kind of person are Democrats willing to accept right now, so long as they're not Trump? I think there's a lot of Democrats who are going to vie for that seat, and I think it's going to be a great example of Darwinism, and we're <laughs> going to have a great candidate at the end. As long as Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden stay out of it, I think it'll seriously <laughs> Can be... Can you be sure, though? No, I can't. (laughs) Hillary hired staff not long ago for this organization of hers. Who knows what it is? And they're probably her campaign team for 2020. But, like, if if Joe and Hillary can stay out of it, then I think it'll... The best candidate will actually come out on top this time, which I don't know if that happened in 2016. Um, As Mm. far left as Bernie was, maybe he was the better candidate. And maybe Hillary cheated her way to it. Ask Donna (laughs) Brazil. She seems to have a lot to say about it now. So, um, but take it a step back, what about 2018? The Senate was, the House has been considered at play, but the Senate wasn't. The House, I think it's the numbers 27 or 37, uh, 
Republican seats that went to Hillary Clinton. So, Democrats were already looking at a majority in 2018. Now, with Doug Jones in there, uh, I think Democrats, or I think the Senate's at play in 2018. I mean, do you think so? I think this is a time in which Republicans have to ask themselves, what do we do now? Um, You go wonk yourself. They seem to have been doing that already. That's all they've been doing. I think if Republicans want any chance of winning, they have to undergo some sort of change in the way they do things. I think right now um, the anti-Trump wave is is real. It's a real thing, and I think Republicans need to acknowledge that. And also they're not getting anything done. If they get something significant done and prove to the American people that they're the real deal, then we'll have a lot less of a problem come 2018. But as of now, we have all but disappointed the American people with promises that have not been kept. And I think it's really going to be a disaster come 2018. I think Democrats are looking all right. I think they're I think they are definitely competitive for the Senate. But it really has to do with what Republicans accomplish between now and then. I think if they can pull something together and really prove that they're the real deal and that they can actually push through an agenda, I think it'll be hard to contest them. But as of now, I think, despite the circumstances of the Alabama race, I think it should definitely be a wake-up call to Republicans. No, I totally agree. I think there are just too many Republicans in the Senate... uh, the Senate has always been much less partisan than the House. Um, that's why there's not a, a very strong Freedom Caucus in the Senate, because um, everyone's pretty middle of the line. Look at guys like Mark Warner and Tim Kaine, um, two Democratic senators from Virginia, but both relatively middle of the line guys. Tim Kaine has pretty far left rhetoric, but at the end of the day, he votes pretty middle of the line. And so there are too many guys who have either not been Trumpian enough or a few who have thrown away all of their morals, i.e. Mitch McConnell, to try and... morals? Honestly. And, like, it's crazy how Bannon's agenda has found its way into mainstream politics. Because Trump didn't have an agenda. He picked up the first agenda that walked into the Oval Office, and that happened to be Steve Bannon's. And, like, I just... I think Republicans have to weed it out... And the same, it's probably the same reason you say Democrats have to weed out the more far left, even socialist agenda. But what happens to the voters, those radicals on either end of the aisle? Do they just be silenced or do they vote green and libertarian for the next election? Here's the thing about the radicals. I think this is, I think this is a really simple answer. I think the radicals on either side of the party are so connected to partisan politics more than they are to actual substance that they're going to vote their party either way i think turnout will be a, a a big factor both for 2018 and for 2020 but i think the radicals aren't going to be that big of a problem because as a voting block what uh republicans should be caring about right now are those swing voters who voted for trump out of hope that he's going to be different and that something's something else is going to um uh come out of it there's going to be some sort of change and right now he's disappointing those voters 
So I think really the independents and maybe like the centrists, left of center, right of center, those are the real voting blocks that Republicans are kind of screwed for come 2018 and 2020 because we are showing the whole uh, uh, American people that we can't accomplish anything no matter what we say. Oh, look, we elected the outsider. Check. We got them. Uh, we have a majority in the House and Senate. Check. Where's the agenda getting pushed? I don't see anything substantial happening. Especially, this is kind of off topic, why hasn't there been any major conservative victories in the new Gorsuch Supreme Court? I was terrified that just the first few days after Gorsuch was in there, they were going to take some cases that were going to be life-changing. We're going to have to see the Masterpiece Cake Shop, uh, that ruling. Oh, wait, like, is that the gay wedding? Yeah, that's happening, right? Like, oh, wow. That's, that case is under undergoing uh, a ruling. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, that's going to be a, a really big, uh, that's going to be a big case in terms of, like... For sure. Because that, I mean, that's, a, that's a partisan issue. I mean, like, that's, like, each side has a completely different view on that. And I think whatever comes out of that case will certainly show what kind of effect Gorsuch has on the Supreme Court. What do you think about that? Well, I saw a spread or a graph of how Robert's ideology, I don't remember what the name of the scoring system was, but it's how they basically rate uh, your political ideology. And Robert, since he's come into office, has gone, or not office, but take, since he's taken on his judgeship, has shifted very far left. Very far left from where he was, at least. So very middle of the line now. And on issues like this, he's seemed to be a friend of the liberals. So, yeah, you guys have Gorsuch now, but uh, Roberts and a few others, I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, let me ask you this. Okay. If this, I, I think I might know the answer to this question. Uh, from my point of view, I think if this case um, goes in favor of more of the right-leaning point of view, I think Trump can actually take that as a victory. Because he uh, nominated Gorsuch. What do you think? Does Do you think that actually affects substantially uh, the view on Trump? Or do you think this is just sort of a, a sideshow? Um, the Supreme, what happens in the Supreme Court, although it's com- completely detached from the rest of Washington in theory, has always reflected on the White House. Um, Obama will always be given credit for gay marriage. It doesn't matter what effect he had or didn't have on it. Gay marriage happened during Obama's presidency, and he will always be given credit as the president that uh, the national legalization of gay marriage happened. Um, so I, and that was a very humble president who didn't like taking credit for stuff. This is a president who loves taking credit for stuff, even stuff he probably shouldn't take credit for. Um, and so I think he will take credit for this uh, if it happens, and. He will probably call it a legislative accomplishment, even though it wasn't legislative or an accomplishment. <laughs> so. Well, it certainly isn't legislative. It's not. <laughs> um, but anyways, so. Well, yeah, I mean, that's going to be really interesting, seeing how that case plays out. Um, hey, it's 6 t- 10 a.m. Oh, wow. Where'd you look at that? We had so much to talk about. We did. I'd say we wrap it up. (laughs) Let's wrap it up. This has been the first ever episode of Go Walk Yourself. It's second episode. The first one didn't work out. The first one you will never hear, ever. Yeah, the first one didn't go so well. Uh, (laughs) Equipment malfunctions, host malfunctions. Uh, Just just 
it was bad. <laughs> I, it was fun. I but personally it was bad. malfunctioned. Um, <laughs> so, but, anyways, well, tune in next time for Go Wonk Yourself. I'm Eddie Michelson. I'm Lucas Anderton. Good night. Have a great holiday. <laughs>